Welcome back to our final installment on these lessons of the fruit of the Spirit from Galatians chapter 5. It's been a privilege to be able to do this together with you. Uh, I hope that it has been beneficial. Uh, it's interesting to be able to use technology in this way and try to connect with one another in these virtual formats. And uh, it's making me think about future opportunities for online content and things that we can do together. But man, it has been a joy, uh, at least personally, to be able to go through this fruit of the Spirit together with you. Uh, my kids, have uh, they love it. Um, Fruit of the Spirit shows up in a lot of children's curriculum. So my, my boy Harrison said uh, today when I was reminding him that I'll be finishing up the Fruit of the Spirit, he said, are you done then? Uh, and, and he actually cutely said, uh, are you done with church work? Like, like in his mind, we got to the end of the Fruit of the Spirit, so daddy's done being a preacher. Um, not exactly, boy, uh, but uh, man, it has been fun to be able to move together through this. So uh, this is the fruit of the Spirit named self-control. I find it fitting that the end of the list, at the end of the list, there's this kind of concluding virtue. So if love was kind of the introductory one or the heading of the entirety of the list, and really it's a summarizing virtue, I think it's appropriate that self-control control comes at the end because self-control, one of the other ways that it's translated in the older versions is the word temperance. It's really this idea of mastery of oneself. So when the Spirit of God is working within you and filling you and you're producing the fruit, I think that it looks like you have this mastery of the way of life that God is calling you to. Now, obviously, as we've mentioned over and over again, the fruit of the Spirit is something that is at work within us, that we're going to imperfectly pursue these realities, but I do find it uh, helpful or, or, or maybe even um, maybe even like, a, like a, a satisfying way to kind of come to the end of the list and find, okay, if you're doing this, if you're full of the Spirit, you have this way about you, this temperance about you, this way of life whereby you are mastering this walking in the Spirit. Well, uh, let me pray and we will get right to work. Let's pray. Lord, we ask right now that as we've opened your word together, that you by your Spirit would speak to us and that this, this moment of gathering together under your word digitally uh, or however we're interacting with this, Lord, we're asking that you would transform our hearts and lives, that you would fill us with that Spirit so that we would be full of the fruit of the Spirit. Would you grant us self-control for your glory? Amen. Amen. All right, well, three lessons uh, on self-control, and here's what I'm going to do today. I'm actually going to go back to the original passage, Galatians chapter 5, that section of Scripture in which we find the list, and I'm actually just looking at the last few verses there to kind of get these three different points. We will lean on some of the earlier material as well in chapter 5, but three lessons on self-control. Lesson number one, and this comes from verse uh, 24, but lesson number one is self-control involves crucifying sin. Self-control involves crucifying sin. Now, earlier in chapter 5, Paul told us that there's something about us we need to be aware of. 
and, and it's this. Inside of you, you have two natures, and those natures are at war. You have the um, nature of the flesh, the sin nature, and then you have this new reality of the Spirit of God within you. So look again at verse 17. Uh, we'll put it up on the screen as well. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. They are in conflict with each other. Okay, so you've got this thing going on inside of you. If you're a Christian, you've got this way of the flesh, its passions, its desires, these things that are contrary to the way of God, but that come very naturally to us. And then on the other hand, you've got this new reality in you, the Spirit of God living within you, and this new way of life. And these things are in conflict with each other. And it goes on to say, so you're not to do whatever you want, whatever comes naturally, you're supposed to live in this new way of life, this way of walking in step with the Spirit. So what does that look like? Well, you go down to verse 24 and he tells us, here's what we do. Here's what Christians have done. Uh, Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Those who belong to Christ have taken that sin nature and have brought it to Calvary and allowed Christ to deal with it there. So we have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. And that's written in the past tense. This is what Christians have experienced. But I want to suggest that it's not only a past tense reality, but it's a present tense obligation. So not only have we crucified the flesh, we still are crucifying the flesh in the moment by moment experience of life. So Martin Luther, one of the reformers, he put it like this in his, when he nailed the 95 thesis to the, to the door there. Uh, what did he say? It started out in this way. It started out like this. Our Lord and Master, Jesus Christ, willed the entire life of believers to be one of repentance. He's kind of getting at this notion. He's saying, look, if you're a Christian, what that means is you are living this ongoing experience, this entirety of your life is one of repentance. And so I want to suggest to us that what we do to walk in the Spirit, what we do to practice self-control, is whenever we find new expressions of sinfulness within us, whenever we find the flesh cropping back up, Uh, we take it back to the cross and we take it back to Calvary and we take it back to Christ and we do this over and over and over again throughout the entirety of our lives. So let me just apply this uh, at a personal level so that we can think about how self-control would involve crucifying sin. Well, one of the things that I deal with um, personally is I deal with the issue of resentment. So having gone through a bunch of experiences in life and disappointments and expectations not being met and dealing with people and and finding myself to be in situations where uh, people didn't do what I expected them to do and they actually did things that felt harmful to me and to my calling and my ministry, um, sometimes I'll deal with issues of resentment. Sometimes I'll I'll deal with uh, feelings of, Uh, I'm bitter and I'm resentful and I'm having a hard time with this. Now, 
I have met with accountability partners over the years and uh, we go through an accountability worksheet. So I'll get together with uh, some men and I'll spend some time just kind of walking through, you know, how, how are you doing on this front? Okay, how am I doing on this front? And I'll get honest about it. And sometimes I, found, I find myself to um, be neglectful of this crucifixion of the sin nature. Now, here's what I mean by that. Sometimes, even when you're doing accountability, it's easy to talk about a sin or a pattern of sin, whether it's resentment or bitterness or whether it's a particular struggle that someone is having. I've found it to be the case where sometimes it's easy to talk about it and to acknowledge it, but to not really do what is required of you, which is to take this named sin and to say, look, it is not right for me to be bitter about things that have happened in the distant past. And it's not right for me to have these issues of resentment where maybe I've forgiven somebody, but I hold on to these past hurts and I hold it against them. That is sin. And it's not just something to be acknowledged and confessed. It's something to be crucified. It's something that I need to bring before the Lord Jesus Christ. And I need to say, look, this thing inside of me, this way of the flesh with its passions and its desires, I don't just need to name it. I need to kill it. That is not right for me to entertain and to maybe try to manage and keep around, but keep, you know, within some kind of boundaries or of, of safety where I go, you know what, I deal with this, but I'm not going to entertain this. I'm not going to, you know, act on it, but I'm also not going to kill it. Listen, the way of self-control is the way of the crucifixion of your sin. You can't just keep it around. You, you have to bring it to Calvary and say, look, this thing needs, this is not okay. This thing needs to die. In the words of John Owen, he said it like this. He said, be killing, be killing sin or it will kill you. You have an obligation as a Christian to take what you know to be sin and to take it to Calvary, to the cross and say, this thing has to die there. And I believe that we do that over and over and over again throughout our Christian lives. We find new expressions of sin in us and what we have an obligation to do then, Romans chapter 8, 13, what we have an obligation to do, a job to do, is to kill that sin. So self-control involves crucifying sin. Secondly, self-control involves walking by the Spirit. So verse 17 reminds us, you're not to do whatever you want. You're not to just kind of do your life uh, willy-nilly, uh, which is, you know, something I, I say that phrase and my wife makes fun of me. She's like, you're so old. Um, you have all these old expressions. You're not to do life willy-nilly. You're not just to say, look, I'm just going to do whatever I want. No, what you need to do is walk in step with the Spirit. Look at verse 25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. So don't just do whatever you feel is natural or normal to you. Do what you feel the Spirit is leading you to do. So let me talk about this kind of at a practical, applicational level. So what does it look like to walk in step with the Spirit or to keep in step with the Spirit? 
Well, I believe that it would be this moment by moment dependence on the Holy Spirit for guidance. Okay, so let me just get real practical here. I think that you're going to be better suited to do that if you're, if you're drawing from a reserve of personal interactions with God. Here's what I'm saying. If you want to live in the moment, leaning on the Holy Spirit, walking in step with the Holy Spirit, you're going to be better situated to do that if you actually began that very day in fellowship with the living God. So if you want to be able to go throughout your work day and have confidence that you're going to be making decisions that reflect self-control, that reflect this moment-by-moment -moment dependence on the Holy Spirit for guidance, one of the best ways to pursue that would be to start your day in fellowship with God. You open the Word and you say, okay, God, uh, uh, today, whatever the date is, um, I'm going to spend some time with you. I'm going to pray to you. I'm going to ask that you would speak to me, and I'm going to begin my day in your presence, very intentionally, very strategically. And then I'm going to get up from that, and I'm going to go to work, and I'm going to do what, what Brother Lawrence called, I'm going to practice the presence of God. And I think you, you can do that a little bit better when you do this a little bit better. So you have your personal fellowship with God, your interaction with God in the Word and prayer. Then you get up from there and you have this practice of the presence of God. Now what does that mean? It means that you are going moment by moment, thinking about, praying about, internalizing, what is God doing right now? Because He's here. He lives within me. His spirit is in me and he wants to lead me and to guide me. And I want to keep in step with that. So I'm asking the question now, what is God doing right this moment? What are you doing in this very moment, God, so that I might be in harmony with you, that I might be walking in step with you? And that means that as I deal with superiors or coworkers or as I deal with, you know, the person who's making my drink at Starbucks, I'm asking the question, okay, God, you are present in this moment. What are you doing right now? And how can I join you in your activity in the world? And I believe that when, when we do this, when Christians practice the presence of the Lord, we become very attentive to the things of God and we actually see all of these different spiritual realities at play in, in our normal, ordinary lives. But all of a sudden, ordinary becomes super ordinary. It becomes extraordinary because God is there and He's at work and we're paying attention and then we're joining Him, joining Him in His activity. Self-control involves walking by the Spirit. Alright, third, lesson number three, self-control is relational. So, self-control, again, shows up in the way that we deal with other people. Now, I've been saying this week by week, uh, but it's something that I noticed right away when I began studying the fruit of the Spirit and the section surrounding it. This all has to do with our relationships. It's going to show up, the fruit of the Spirit is going to show up in how we interact with and deal with other people. So, if you're lacking in self-control, you will look at other people and you'll use them as a means to your end. Or you'll deal harshly with them if they are an obstacle to what you want to accomplish. But self-control, being filled with the Spirit, 
means you'll deal differently. You'll begin to look at them and think about what is God doing and what is God doing between us in this moment and how can I participate in that? So there becomes this, as I've de described it before, a relational beauty. Uh, Christians ought to be the most relationally beautiful people. The people that you want to be around, the people that you gravitate to because they're full of the Spirit and you experience that in relationship with them. But in verse 26, it actually puts it negatively. And it's this final warning at the end of the section. Verse 26 puts it like this. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying each other. Period. End of section. Dunzo. Here's what it's saying. At the very end, it's giving us this final warning. Be careful about how you deal with other people. Be full of the Spirit, exhibiting the fruit of the Spirit, having this way of self-control, and let us not become, negatively put, conceited, provoking, and envying each other. What is this talking about? It's reminding us that the way of the flesh is the way of me. It's all about me. The way of the flesh demands that life revolves around me. Now, I've heard somebody say this before, uh, and I'm, I can't remember in the moment who it was, but uh, it's not my idea, so it's not something you should give me credit for. But somebody once said, if you think that you are the gravitational pull of the universe, you will, be, you will always be offended. If you believe that you're the center of the universe and everything is meant to revolve around you, and then you find out the world doesn't actually work like that, you're not the gravitational pull of the universe, someone else is, then you're always going to be frustrated because you're going to be thinking, why doesn't everyone revolve around me? You're going to be bumping into things and people and, and you're going to be provoked. You're going to provoke other people and you're going to envy other people. So if you think that it's all about you, you're constantly going to be frustrated. And if, you, if you're dealing with life in this way, with an absence of self-control, then there's going to be this um, bitter disappointment over and over and over again, and relational strife. It'll be full of things like provoking and envying each other. Provoking is this idea of, <clears throat> you know, you're, you're doing something that's inciting someone to anger. And, and if, again, you're lacking in self-control, if you're lacking in this fruit of the Spirit, then the way that you deal with people is actually going to be uh, inciting people to be upset. And you're going to envy them and maybe some of the things that are going on with them you're going to be upset about. You're going to wish that, that it was happening better for you, uh, but you're going to be provoking other people. So again, um, the way of the Spirit, the way of self-control is meant to show up in a way of relational beauty. Be careful that you don't neglect this fruit of the Spirit and therefore experience relational strife. Now, the community of the redeemed is meant to be the place where love and unity and peace and harmony resides. And the filling of the Spirit and the fruit of the Spirit is how we get there. So we want to be the kind of church, we want to be the kind of individuals who are full of the Spirit, creating this culture, this ethos, this environment where people experience the love of God and the fruit of His Spirit 
and therefore the beauty of what it's like to be in the presence of God. So as we wrap this up, let's remind ourselves of where we have been. Self-control is the concluding fruit of the Spirit. It is self-mastery, but that's a little misleading because it's not just you're mastering yourself, it's that you're being mastered by the Spirit of God, and therefore your life begins to conform to the image of Jesus Christ. To, to pursue self-control will involve crucifying your sin. When you find sin, you bring it to the cross and you deal with it judicially there. It involves walking in step with the Spirit, looking for these moment-by-moment -moment expressions of God's activity in the world. And finally, it will result in relational beauty. If you are full of the Spirit of God, full of self-control, it will result in a relational beauty that will attract people to God Himself. Man, I hope that we all would be filled with the Spirit and we would be these placards of God's grace and these demonstrations of the Spirit of God in the world so that people would come to know and love and put their faith in God Himself. Let's be that kind of community. Be blessed. Thank you for joining me in the study on the fruit of the Spirit. I hope it has been helpful for you. I love you. Take care.